Venture, it's great to see you here with us today. Some of you are joining us online. I'm glad that you're with us. Those of you who are in the room, I'm grateful to have you with us as well. We're week three right now of a four kind of message series. It's called The Greatest Story Ever Told. We're leaning into the nativity story. We're leaning into the truth that God came near and everything changed. A Savior entered the world and everything changed. And we need to be reminded of that. Some of us, maybe you're a guest here today. First of all, I'm so glad you're with us. We love having guests join us adventure. Maybe you're leaning into this truth for the first time ever. I hope, I hope, I hope God reaches down and grabs a hold of your heart and reminds you today that you're a precious child of God. So in this three-week series, The Greatest Story That's Ever Told, uh, we've been talking each week how a story has five basic but very important elements. These are the characters in the story, and we've been looking at the characters of the nativity story, the setting of the story, and we've kind of been examining that, especially last week we looked at the setting, the plot, we're leaning into that now, the conflict, and then eventually the resolution. Don't miss Christmas Eve. Who have you invested in? Who are you inviting to come with you to join you for Christmas Eve this Friday? Remember that we're doing two services, a 4 o'clock and a 6 o'clock. Make that a part of your week and bring somebody with you. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you've caught this yet, but if you're planning to come to church on Sunday morning the 26th, the day after Christmas, know that we only have one service that day. We're not going to be doing a 9.30. We're going to kind of narrow the focus on an 11 a.m. That's okay. If you show up early, we'll have donuts and coffee and hot chocolate for your kids. But if you think of it, don't come at 9.30. Join us for 11 o'clock that morning. Okay, let's catch up on this series where we've been. We've been looking at a Venn diagram. We've been talking about the power of story. And we've examined that God has been telling a story since the dawn of time. It's an epic story. It's one to lean in on. And then we've talked about this truth that we have a story. I have a story. God's telling a story in my life. And he wants to tell a story through my life. Because we've been talking about this, the sweet spot where God's story intersects with your story, my story. Where it can intersect with their story. Somebody that you know. Somebody who you have influence over. That sweet spot where those intersect, this is where evangelism takes place. This is where their story could be forever and profoundly changed simply because you lean into them with the truth of God's story. Let's catch up real quick. Week one, we talked about the hoodlum, the villain in the story. It's a small v villain. His name in the nativity story is Herod the Great. King Herod killed all the baby boys two years old and younger. But we discovered that first day of this series that his story as a villain, well, he's tapping into a much older story. There's a capital V villain, Satan. But we discovered that week that chapter 3 of the Bible, actually right off the bat, there's this story where Satan, well, he's kind of doomed from that point forward. And the curse on Satan, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, is that he's just going to be nipping at Eve's offspring. And ultimately, it's foreshadowing Jesus, just nipping at his heels. And at the cross of Christ, it's foreshadowed at the very beginning of the story, Jesus is going to crush the devil's head. That's the hoodlum. Last week, 
Last week, we leaned into the history behind the story. We talked about how the story of the nativity, it's set in history for such a time as this. In the fullness of time, the book of Galatians says, God sent his son. And we talked about, we looked even how the, the New Testament opens up with the genealogy of Joseph's family. And God uses some characters in that story. And if God would use people like Rahab, if God would use people like King David, who was not flawless, if God would use people even like Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father, if God would use those characters, what makes you think he wouldn't use you this week? This week, we're leaning into Mary's part of the story. Herod the Great, Joseph, Daddy, we're looking at Mary, Mary the mother of Christ, and the heart behind the nativity story. Don't miss Christmas Eve this Friday at 4 and 6 o'clock. We're leaning in to the hero behind the story. There's only one hero to scripture. This is God himself, but I get ahead of myself. Don't miss that on Friday. But why today? Why should we talk about heart? Well, have you heard the phrase, the hand that rocks the cradle is the same hand that rules the world? You know... Uh, our Catholic brothers and sister, uh, sisters, they, they, they talk an awful lot about Mary. And I think there's been a bit of a knee-jerk reaction in our Protestant church communities. Because the Catholics lean so heavy into Mary, we, we kind of shy away from Mary. But I want to caution you. There are some things to learn about Mary's life. And we want to examine Mary's life, the heart behind this story. It's pretty important that we look at this. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Actually, there's some Bibles. If you haven't discovered this yet, uh, we're coming back from COVID, baby. They're in the seats underneath you, uh, in the seat in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today and you want to pull that out, uh, feel free to grab that and open up to Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Here's the heart of the story. But Mary, Mary the mother of Christ, treasured up all these things. What things? This story. This is set firmly in the context of Scripture. This is right after Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Glory to the newborn king and the, the shepherds in the field. They hear this peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and they run. They make a beeline to the nativity scene. And they gather together around this scene. You've got Mary and you've got Joseph and you've got the infant newborn baby Jesus. Right after this, the text tells us, Mary treasured up all of these things, these wonders that she's experienced, and she pondered them in her heart. I kind of love what the NLT does with the translation of this verse. The New Living Translation puts it this way. But Mary kept all these things in her heart, and she thought about them often. She put these memories, stuffed them down inside of her heart, and every once in a while they would just kind of spill out, and she would think about them often. If you come and sometimes sit with me in my office uh, and you bring a beverage with you, I'll offer you a coaster. I've got five of them in my office, and they're kind of scattered around the office. I've got five because I actually have five kids. My sister-in-law gave me a present. Oh, Christmas present, actually, probably three or four years ago. She took a log and she sliced it. And then she burned some of these phrases in these wooden coasters that she made. And I keep them in my office because each one of these is a quote from one of my kids when they were little. And it's just kind of a fun reminder. It was a great Christmas present that she gave me. I've got a picture of it. This is it sitting on my desk right now. And this is the coaster. And this one says this. This is one of my boys when he was tiny. He said this, I won't tell anyone... I'll just tuck it in my heart. 
I think his mom, Dawn, had just been having a conversation with him about Christmas presents. And, uh, and he was wanting to know what maybe dad or one of his brothers was getting for Christmas. And mom was saying, well, I don't know if you can handle that because you're going you're gonna to tell. You can't handle that truth. You're going to spill it out and spoil the secret. And he said, I won't, I won't tell anybody. I'll just tuck it into my heart. Mamas. I feel inadequate to speak to you about your hearts, especially toward your kids. There's something beautiful and special about a mom's heart for her kids. Years ago when I was in high school, I learned a little bit about Mother Mary's heart. I didn't know that that's what I was getting ready to learn. It kind of, I came by it accidentally. In my high school, we, uh, we had a horrible football team. Like literally this year for the first time ever, my father-in-law texted me and said, uh, in, well, he's texted me many times, but he was texting about the football team. He said, uh, this year, the, uh, the, the season opened two and zero. My home team, Lincoln, Illinois, won their first two football games. They hadn't done that in 36 years. So it was newsworthy, right? So we were awful, awful in football. But basketball, we could hold our own. Lincoln had a decent basketball team every year. And one of our rivals was this small um, uh, Catholic private school. Well, not small. It was pretty good size in Springfield, Illinois. It was called Sacred Heart Griffin. And I remember as a high school kid thinking, Sacred Heart Griffin, that must be like their mascot. Because our mascot was the rail splitters. I grew up in Abraham Lincoln's hometown. We were the rail splitters. Isn't that cute? Kind of silly. A little bit embarrassing, actually, to say that to you. And I always had this thing about mascots, like, like for example, uh, Fisher, Illinois. Their mascot is the bunnies. And I always wondered, man, how do you, like, what's the fight song for that? Death to the bunnies? It just kind of feels awkward. So I thought Sacred Heart Griffin, this must be like their mascot. And so I, this was before Google. I did some asking around. Here's the image that comes along with Sacred Heart. Check this out. This kind of looks like a mascot, doesn't it? I mean, you've got uh, a sword piercing this heart. That's kind of cool. And then, you know, you got some imagery over here. It's kind of a line drawing. Actually, this is kind of ancient artwork. This is Christian artwork. I said something a bit ago about Catholic, our Catholic brothers and sisters. You know, we share, until about 500 years ago, their history is also our history. So there's some things we can learn from each other, including Mary. This is another iconic image that comes from the Catholic faith. Basically, this is Mother Mary, and her heart, if you notice, is being pierced by seven wounds, seven swords. Each one of these is a story years ago. Somebody read through their New Testament and discovered there are seven moments where Mary comes into the story, and it seems like each one of these, there's a moment for her heart to get pierced. There's something to learn with this. So if you've got uh, notes, if you're taking notes today, uh, I want to contrast Luke chapter 2, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Because I think that this, oh my goodness, this would uniquely fit today. I think um, this is applicable today. Contrast that with Proverbs 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. If you're taking notes, ask this question. How do you simultaneously guard your heart and open it up to living and loving? Because when you open up your heart, moms, you know this, you make it vulnerable to wounding. And after reflecting on those seven sorrows, 
We're going to explore them here in just a minute. I, I found them in my study. I found them to be remarkably relevant to our world today. People still lose loved ones. People are still unjustly persecuted and killed. And those seven sorrows, they give us a chance to learn about heart from the nativity story. Actually, let's stretch it out from Mary's life story. So... Today, here's our outline. We're going to have seven wounds that bring seven questions and one answer that brings healing. Seven wounds that bring seven questions and one answer that brings healing. If you're taking notes, here's the first wound. Write this down. As you study Mary's life story, the prophecy of Simeon and Anna brings a wound to her mama's heart. There's this moment when the boy Jesus... Young, like infant, maybe toddler, I don't know. He's a little boy. And they go to Jerusalem, and there's this moment where Simeon, a holy man in Jerusalem, and Anna, she's known as a prophetess, they have this moment of joy. They have this moment of their hearts just overflow when they meet the baby Jesus because they see him as the fulfillment of what the whole world has been groaning to see. And they bless the child. They prophesy over the child, including Simeon. He says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. So Mary, this is pivotal in her life. This is a big moment. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rise of many in Israel. So he's going to have a huge impact over a whole bunch of people. And I would argue, by extension, us as well. He's talking about us. And to be a sign that will be contradicted... And you yourself, a sword, will pierce. What is he talking about? So that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So something's going to happen with this child. We've read, many of us, the end of the story. We know that the cross of Christ, well, it informs the moment we just had in communion. But at this moment in Mary's life, her heart's pierced because she knows something's coming. And it's going to mean personal loss for her. How do you simultaneously guard your heart and open it up to living and loving? Well, here's the question that that wound brings. What if God's story is bigger than your dreams? I suspect that just like that song that they sang a bit ago, Mary had some hopes and dreams, right? Like her, her daddy walking her down the aisle, but instead her story became God saying, hey, you're, you're already expecting a baby. And then if you remember the story from last week, Joseph was going to kind of quietly divorce her, kind of quietly set her aside. She had some hopes and dreams, I'm sure, for her life and this baby, the Savior of the world. He changed everything, right? Can you imagine being Mary at this point in the story? That's a wound that pierced her heart. Seven wounds that bring seven questions and one answer that brings healing. Here's the second wounded heart moment. The flight into Egypt. We talked about this last week. Let's go ahead and read the text together. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. We talked about him last week in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, flee. That word right there, doesn't that evoke some heart emotion? Flee to Egypt. By the way, if you're familiar with the story that God's been telling since the dawn of time, especially through his Bible, God's people don't flee to Egypt. They flee from Egypt. But flee for your lives, for the child's life. And stay there until I tell you. Herod is going to uh, search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph rose, being a good dad, good father, good husband, and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Mary wanted to go north, back to the Nazareth Ridge. 
to let the older women in her village coo over this precious little baby. But instead, they flee the other direction. When Herod realized that he had been deceived by the Magi, he became furious. He ordered the massacre of all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity two years old and younger. This is a big deal in Mary's life. Here's the wounded heart. Here's the question. What if life happens to your story? Life happened to Mary's story in that moment, right? And I don't mean to trivialize this. This was a big deal. This is a big life moment. Life happened. They had to flee the other direction. I read an article this past week that I hope, mamas, I hope you find this as encouragement. I hope you find it practical. I hope you find it helpful. Again, I don't totally understand a mom's heart, but I read this article and I thought this might be helpful to share. This is a mom who talked about a moment when life happened to her. Big moment, big day. Maybe not flee to Egypt big, but big in her life. And then she says this. Uh, She says, I could have gotten stuck there easily. I've done it before. I've been known to get stuck in many a yucky place. But thankfully, that day I leaned into the one who would always guard my heart. Remember that passage from Proverbs? How do you simultaneously open your heart and guard your heart? Maybe there's a clue here. You invite him to guard your heart. I love that. His whisper stood out above the others. Maybe it was the years of getting stuck that trained my ears to listen for truth, to listen to Jesus. He reminded me that, number one, this is hard. It's really hard. But his strength will get me through. If you're taking notes, mamas, you might want to write that down. You don't lean into your strength. You lean into his strength because he's bigger. He's stronger than the problems that you face today. Does life happen to your story? Do you feel overwhelmed? Well, his strength will get you through. And he's using every challenge and every day to carve out a very big plan for whatever that thing is that you're facing. Number two. I love that she said, I'm a real mom with a real God who fills all the gaps. Could we just circle that word real right now? I'm a real mom with a real God. I don't know if we lean into that enough in our Christian subculture. Sometimes we feel a little bit plastic, but life does happen. And real life comes into the mix, into into the story. And it's good for me, especially this time of year, to remind it that we have a real God. Y'all, it doesn't get much more real than Mary and Joseph having to scoop donkey poop out of the way to lay the baby down in the manger. That's pretty real. And God breaks through space and time to become Emmanuel, God with us, real God to invade real life. I don't know what you're facing today, but, well... God can fill all the gaps. He is the I am. Thankfully, I'm not. Number three, no matter what the enemy dishes out, God uses it for good. That's good to be reminded of. Number four, even when my heart is not feeling the gushy kind of love toward maybe one of my kids, if they're what's made life difficult, life happened today, God's love is firmly planted in my heart. It's the purposeful contentment to sacrificial action for another. It's committed, which means it will never give up. God's love is firmly planted in my heart. If you've asked him to be Lord and Savior of your life, he's with you. 
Number five, just as Moses felt inadequate and asked God to choose somebody else for the job. We're going to look at that text here in a minute. I too may feel inadequate, but God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. What's the passage I'm talking about? It's Exodus chapter 4. We could go to a bunch of passages. God does this all the time. He uses characters to tell his story. No perfect people allowed. Moses was one of these. He wasn't the perfect orator. Moses said to the Lord, oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent. God had said, I want you to go tell Pharaoh some things for me. Moses said, I don't think I've got it in me, God. Neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Sometimes my words get jumbled up in my mouth. Maybe you can relate to that. Some people think that maybe Moses had a speech impediment, and he's basically telling God, I don't know if I can do this, what you've asked me to do. Well, the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you speak, and I'll teach you what to say. But Moses kind of takes another swing at it. He says, but, uh, oh, Lord, please send somebody else to do it. I don't know if I have it in me. Here's the deal. God doesn't call the qualified He qualifies the called. He called Moses, and he made it happen. God's bigger. Number six, my God is for me and with me in every battle I must fight. Don't miss Christmas Eve. We're going to lean into the value of hero. God is the hero, not you. When you look at God's story and your story and their story, don't make yourself the hero. God's the only hero in Scripture. And he's for you, and he's with you. Number seven, sometimes a good nap is great medicine. I love that. Sometimes in the middle of the hecticness, the craziness of the Christmas season, sometimes moms and dads, it's just good to take a deep breath and step away. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is simply take a nap. Okay, seven wounds that bring seven questions and one answer that brings healing. Here's the third wounded heart. The loss of the child Jesus. The loss of the child Jesus, actually, it's in this moment. He's going from child to man. If you're familiar with Jewish culture, this would be about the bar mitzvah time. He's 12 years old, the text tells us. He's turning the corner from childhood to adulthood. And we looked at this story last week, so we're not going to look at it today, but it's in Luke chapter 2, verses 43 and following. And there's this moment when Mary and Joseph, they're in Jerusalem to do some things with Jesus. And they leave Jerusalem. They're headed back to Nazareth. And they get like a day's journey away, and they're like, well, where is he? I don't know. I haven't seen him. Have you seen him? So they go back, and they, find, they look for him for like three days. They find him in Jerusalem on the temple steps, and he's teaching the rabbis. He's teaching the learned people. And he says, why would you not think I would be about my father's business? But before that, I love this, Mary gives him just a little piece of her mind. She says, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. And I almost picture Joseph, the strong, silent type, standing over in the corner, and he's like, oh, boy, the boy's going to get it now. Mary, don't don't hurt him. He's 12. He's got to start making some of those decisions for himself. But it hurts, right? This is a wounding moment for Mary. Here's the question. What if kids have a mind of their own? Because they do, right? And listen, I know the Christmas season is difficult for many. Some of you, you tell me your stories sometimes. 
And I know that for some of us, this is a reminder because you're gathering together with your kids and their families and you're reminded, some of us, that your kids, maybe they're not walking with Jesus right now. Or maybe you even sense that they're far from God in their life right now. And it breaks your mom's heart. It breaks your dad's heart. What if kids have a mind of their own? I've got seven action steps for you. If you want to write these down, number one, if that's you, if you resonate with that, number one, how about we pray? This is not a step you just do once and you check it off your list. Listen, if you've been praying for your child since before he or she was born, you're not going to stop when they're adults or approaching adulthood. You're not going to stop anytime soon. Pray for your kids. Number two, discuss. We just talked about that moment with Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2. They have a conversation with the baby or the boy Jesus, right? The 12-year-old, this adultish child. And you may wonder if it's your place to say something about your child's sinful lifestyle, if that's what they're leaning into by choice right now. It absolutely is. Not only is judging the sin the loving thing to do sometimes, but as the child's mother, you're in a unique place of influence. So in figuring out how to parent grown children, maybe they're living in sin, it's your job to notice and to care. Your child expects, or they should expect, for you to notice and to care. Please notice, however, that I said discuss. Not lecture, not forbid, not scold, not threaten. Your job, if they're an adult, is only to have a mature, a grown-up conversation. So find out what's going on as much as you're able to. And find out your child's thoughts on the matter and share yours when it's appropriate and when it's in a loving way. Number three, speak. Maybe this is to a trusted friend. Maybe this is to a pastor. Notice this is after. Number two, discuss this with your child. Number three, maybe it's time to exercise Matthew 18 where you bring somebody else who has some investment in their life. And especially if this is a, a youth pastor when they were younger or this is a pastor that they respect or this is a friend who you also knows Jesus and you want to bring them into this conversation and there's an opportunity there, you should lean into that opportunity to speak truth to them and invite somebody else into the process. Number four. Let it go. Once you've shared your opinion on the situation in a loving way, there's really nothing else to say. Your child is an adult now and free to make his or her own decisions, even if you don't agree. There are some things that only the Holy Spirit can do, and you aren't the Holy Spirit. But you do have action steps. Here's number five, set boundaries. In learning how to parent grown children, maybe that are living in sin, setting boundaries very well might be needed. Just because you can't change your child's behavior doesn't mean you have to allow it or you have to enable it. For example, uh, you can set the rule that your child is not allowed to have their boyfriend or their girlfriend stay the night at your house when they come to visit over the holidays. You could set the rule that you won't help out financially as long as they're using their money irresponsibly. You may even make the rule that your child is not allowed to visit as long as he or she are making poor choices. That's extreme, but if you need to do that to protect the other people in your house, you might need to do that. Even little children should be taught that actions do, in fact, have consequences. You'll need to decide what they are in your family. Number six, love. If you're confused on how to parent uh, grown children, one thing that shouldn't be too confusing is to simply love them. Number seven, just in case we didn't take it seriously the first time, we never stop praying for those kids that God has entrusted into our care. I bet Mary 
never stopped that. Remember, there's seven wounds that bring seven questions, and there's one answer that brings healing. Here's the fourth wounded heart moment. This is the condemnation of Jesus. Mary was there for this. By the way, the first three are surrounding the nativity story. They're at the beginning of the story. These last four, we're going to hit them pretty quick because they're at the end of the story. They really fit more with Easter than they do with Christmas. But this is Mary's story, and she's a pretty big supporting character in this story. And so we're going to learn from these four real quick. The condemnation of Jesus in your Bibles, this would be Luke chapter 23 beginning with verse 23. Listen to this. With loud shouts, they persisted in calling for his crucifixion, and their voices prevailed. The verdict of Pilate was that their demand should be granted. They're going to turn Jesus over to the mob. So he, Pilate, released the man, his name is Barabbas, who had been imprisoned for rebellion and murder, for whom they asked, and he handed Jesus over to them to deal with them as they wished. This is an angry mob. As they led him away, they took hold of a certain Simon, a Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and after laying the cross on him, they made him carry it behind Jesus. You can kind of picture this angry mob and what's going on here. And this says a large crowd of people followed Jesus, including many women. And when we look at the context of this story, what happens before and after and what other gospel writers say, we believe that Mary is in the mix there. Mary, the mother of Christ, is watching with horror what's happening to her baby right now, including many women who mourned and lamented him. Those are strong words in the text. Mourning and lamentation. They're feeling this deeply. Here's the question. What if you have to watch your dreams crushed? What if you, like Mary in that moment in your life, in the story that God's telling through your life, what if you have to watch your dreams be crushed? There's seven wounds that bring seven questions and one answer that brings healing. Here's the fifth wounded heart moment. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. Oh, she felt this one deeply. Look at this. This is in uh, uh, John chapter 19. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. So the text firmly roots her there. Mary is here in this moment, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, Jesus speaks from the cross. He says to his mother, woman, behold your son. Mary, mom, look and see what's happened. That's a powerful moment, and I bet Mary felt her heart pierced in that moment. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. He's basically saying, I want you to take care of this woman that I love. Take care of my mama, would you? And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. We see a beautiful heart moment from the cross. After this, aware that everything was now finished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. There was a vessel filled with common wine, so they put a sponge soaked in wine on a sprig of hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus had taken the wine, he said, it's finished. And bowing his head, he handed over his spirit, and Mary was there. So here's the question. What if you have to watch your dreams die? Some of you, literally. Some of you, you never should have to bury a child, but some of you have lived through that. I bet many of the moms metaphorically can relate to that because oftentimes mamas give up a lot to do what they do. 
There's seven wounds that bring seven questions, and there's one answer that brings healing. Here's the sixth wounded heart moment from the life of Mary. This is the retrieval of Jesus' body. Mary, with a few other people, had to serve as the medical examiner, the coroner, the funeral home director. I've got this weird habit. I like to visit cemeteries, and I've done it on vacation. My, my family will leave me to that sometimes. I've did, done this in the Holy Land. No, uh, every good story needs some good pictures to go with it. So I've snapped some images of tombs in the Holy Land. This is the first century. Uh, this is not the area where Jesus was buried. This is across uh, the valley. This is the Mount of Olives is where this excavation took place. But this is a first century tomb. This would be like the area where they laid his body. Here's another picture. This is a garden tomb. We're going to read where the text talks about it being a garden. I don't believe this is where they buried Jesus. But the inside of this tomb, well, it'll show you, if, the next picture will show you a little bit what that would, might have looked like in there, uh, the moment when Mary had to watch her dreams die. Seven wounds that bring seven questions, one answer that brings healing, the retrieval of Jesus' body. They took the body of Jesus, Isaiah, or John chapter 19. They took the body of Jesus and bound it with burial cloths along with the spices according to the Jewish burial custom. Here's the question. What if life feels overwhelming? Can you imagine in that moment what Mary must have felt? Seven wounds that bring seven questions and one answer that brings healing. The seventh wounded heart moment in the life of Mary is the burial of Jesus. We just looked at those pictures of the tomb. Can you imagine being a mama and having to walk in with the body of your child? John chapter 19 puts it this way, verse 41. Now in the place where he had been crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb. That's why that garden tomb I showed you, that that can't be the place where he was buried, in which no one had yet been buried. So they laid Jesus there because of the Jewish preparation day, for the tomb was close by. Here's the question. What do you do with painful loss? What do you do when your whole world comes crashing down around you? Remember there's seven wounds that bring seven questions and one answer that brings healing. But let's, real quick, before we find the answer to that question, let's go back and look at our Venn diagram. We've got God's been telling the story since the dawn of time. And he wants to use your story to bring others to him. This is the sweet spot of evangelism. So what do you do? What do you do with painful loss? What do you do with all of those other questions we asked when life feels overwhelming? I am. Uh, I told you at the beginning of this series that I took some of my kids to see The Chosen. How many of you have done that, gone to the theater and, and, and watched The Chosen? It's great. If you haven't seen that yet, The Messengers. And, and I sat there and I thought this, as I watched this, they, they took some liberties with the storytelling. And there's a moment at the end, and spoiler alert, I'll be careful not to ruin the moment for you. But they do a flashback to the end of Mary's life. Actually, it would be a flash forward in the story. She's doing a flashback as she remembers these moments of all these things that she pondered and treasured in her heart. And she says this line that becomes an epic retelling moment for that story, the world must know. And she tells this messenger, I want you to take this message to Luke. He's still working on his gospel that he's going to write that's going to tell this story for posterity. That's you and me. And she writes what we know uh, as the Magnificat. This is Mary's song. 
She writes it way back when. She writes this, I think, in those same moments that she's pondering, she's treasuring all these things in her heart. Actually, I think she writes this before Jesus is born. She writes this upon hearing the news that God has chosen her to carry the Savior into the world. She sits down and she writes these words, Luke chapter 1, verse 46, says this, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. She's just heard maybe the soul-devastating news that her dream of the baby, her dream of the husband, her dream of her daddy walking her down the aisle, that's been dashed. But in spite of that, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my soul rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's saying, listen, I choose humility. I choose to lean into the shamefulness of this moment, the realness of bringing a baby into the world in a manger. I lean into this because of God from now on generations will call me blessed, not because of something I've done, but because God chose to use me. I get to be blessed, to be a blessing for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. Can you just see how she's saying my story It's meant to reflect God's story so that it can impact their story from generations to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's saying, use my story to tell God's story so that their story can be impacted by him. What do you do with painful loss? What do you do when life feels overwhelming? What do you do when you have to watch your dreams crushed or even die? That's the question. Here's the answer. You're predetermined like Mary did. At the very beginning of her story, you predetermine your devotion to God's story, to your story, and selflessly, humbly, even to their story. You say, God, I choose to let you use me to tell a great story through my life, not so that I'm honored for generations, but, God, so that you're honored for generations to come. My wife, Dawn, and I were talking about that whole idea of tucking it in your heart, that coaster I told you about a bit ago. She reminded me she had shared this on social media. This is December 1st. It's this season of the year. 2014, I love this. She's got a way with words, way better than me. She said, when Jake was little, he wanted me to share a secret with him. He would tell me as he pointed to his heart, I won't tell mommy, I'll just tuck it inside. Once in a while, those words echo in my mind, but with a different meaning. Sometimes I have a full circle moment in my life when suddenly I realize why God allowed us to go through a hard moment in time. Mary went through some hard moments in time. I bet you go through some hard moments in time. Don said today was one of those days where I had an incredible full circle moment. And tonight as I lay down to rest, I'm tucking it inside my heart so when the next hard moment arrives, I can cling to it and remember that God is in every moment of time nestled right there with us. What do you do with painful loss? You predetermine your devotion to God's story, your story, and to their story. Right now, we're going to wrap up the sermon and wrap up our service by simply praying a prayer of invitation. 
Inviting God's presence into these moments. Maybe they're hard moments for you right now. I don't know what you're doing right now in your story and how God is planning to use your story for his glory to impact their story. But I can't offer this. I'd love to pray for you. And I would love it if you would pray for others as well. So I'm going to invite you right now, would everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes and pray for yourself, pray for this week, pray for what you're facing, pray for your family. But maybe you just kind of want to look down the row. Who could you pray for in this room as well, especially if you know that they might be going through a tough time right now? Who do you know that lives across town that you can invest in to impact their story? You pray for them as well. And we're just going to close uh, this moment right now with prayer. God, we, uh, we, we, we bow our heads and we close our eyes and we recognize that the weary world rejoices. But there are some folks that feel weary right now and feel the weariness more than the rejoicing part. So, Lord, I pray for exhausted mamas. I pray for those that are experiencing loss felt lost profoundly this past year, and this time of year it stirs it up. I pray for them. God, I pray for peace on earth. I pray for goodwill toward men and women everywhere. God, I pray that this week, as we lean into the truth, that Emmanuel is God with us. This isn't just a cerebral faith. Allow us to feel it as well. And I pray that in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.